Hey guys, Josh Klein here. As we go through the off season, we are trying to provide you with the absolute best content here on the Riot Network. So we were able to sit down with head team physician for the Carolina Panthers, Dr. Pat Connor. You probably recognize that name as the man who performed surgery on Cam Newton's shoulder. We were able to lock him down, talk about his role at the Combine, what happens underneath that blue tent on the sidelines, and a multitude of other great topics. We encourage you to go check that out. It is on the It Is What It Is feed, which is our interview show where we interview players, coaches, and now Dr. Pat Connor as the doctor is in on the It Is What It Is feed. So go check that out. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere where podcasts are sold. You can go check out It Is What It Is. See you later. Hello Panthers fans and others, it's another episode of the Great British Drafting Show, a proud part of the Riot Network, sponsored by Awful Carolina. I'm your host Dan Cresso, and with me this week, as he is every week, is my good friend Vincent Richardson. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good, yeah, not too yeah. bad. How are you? Yeah, not bad. I've uh, been taking in all of the information from the Combine uh, yeah. this weekend. Yeah, I've been trying to keep up. I haven't done the best of jobs this weekend, but yeah, I've got... I mean, some of the numbers are going to get massively blown out of proportion, but there are certainly some some impressive numbers. Yeah, we have some impressive athletes uh, mm. in this class. And I think that's a general theme with this class is that there isn't that much polish. I think there's a lot of potential, a lot of guys that could actually end up being really well. Uh, you know, you know, offense or Montez yeah. Sweat, et cetera. Um, yeah, I think like DK Metcalf is the prime example of that. For yeah, me, yeah, that, yeah. That it's, it's a receiver class with a handful of guys who could all be really good receivers but all of whom are a long way from reaching their potentials. And actually, it'll yep. be quite, it's quite hard to judge at this stage, which one of them is actually, which one of them stands a chance of ever really producing on that. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. One guy I'm going to try and uh, watch again is Hakeem Butler, because I didn't expect him to test as well as he did. Um, no, and there'll be other that's... guys like that as well. So his, his 40 was relatively good. I don't know what his agility drills were like. Were they I don't good? think he did them. Did not because that'd be the interesting one to see because that yeah. that was like for me that was the bigger issue was that was wasn't necessarily just how fast he could run in a straight line it was his ability to actually change direction so if he does his pro day that will definitely and they done does well that would probably push me more towards rewatching yep um now we're not going to talk about a combine this week we did that last week what we're going to yeah. talk about is quarterbacks so you know the most yes. important position in the game uh, and something the Panthers might look to address. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So in his pre-combine press conference, Ron Rivera sort of said that the team is probably more likely to draft a quarterback than they are to sign a quarterback, um, which I think is probably the result of money as much as anything else, that the amount of capital they have, that they can't really compete on the quarterback market. Um, and, and so, I, you know, the Panthers haven't drafted a quarterback for eight years now. So it, it's... It's about time they actually sort of started investing some sort of even if it's just day three assets in in giving themselves a chance of hitting on one of those guys to develop. Because realistically, by the time you get to UDFA, you really are it's the scraps that you're you're fighting over at that point. That there there are only a handful of UDFA sort of great UDFA quarterbacks ever, whereas the number of late round guys is far higher. Yep. Uh, spoiler alert: If the Panthers pick a quarterback in this year's draft, 
he's not going to be as good as the one you picked eight years ago. Yeah, I, I would I would put significant money on that being the case. Yeah. And so, yeah, quarterback is a position you're going to be looking to address later yeah. on. The hit rate for quarterbacks late on really isn't high. If anyone's like got vaguely good sort of uh, NFL starting potential, at least within the first couple of years, they tend to go in the first two rounds. Yeah, but the, but the, the, it's there are enough examples of guys who work out that it's also not just throwing money down a pit. Yeah, the, yeah. There are, and also then the value. If you do hit, the value you get back is so great that it's you know it's worth taking a, a day three quarterback almost every year because if you, as long as you've got an established starter, you can basically then just rotate a couple of guys behind that. And after two years, when you're basically looking to get rid of them, you either know they've not have don't have a chance or you can probably get some decent trade assets for them or you then choose to keep that guy you know you, that you could keep you could draft a late round quarterback almost every year and it would make some sense okay so as long for, as you're not just reaching on guys yeah and we'll talk about which guys we think are yeah. being undervalued by the uh nfl as of now um yeah. for for late round quarterbacks uh yeah given that they're going in those sort of rounds they're not going to be the the whole package. So what no. kind of things would you want to see from them? So it's kind of that there are there are sort of two different ways you can go with the late round quarterback. So the thing you want to see from any quarterback is processing ability. And this is really hard to judge in college offenses. And this is why you have a quarterback. It's really important to interview and do tape work with them, which we unfortunately can't do. But you need to see the ability to work through reads and make decisions post snap. Because that's something that generally can't be taught that effectively, unless and unless the issue itself is the lack of coaching. That if someone has been taught to a decent standard and they keep making mistakes outside of what they've been taught, it's really hard. You know, if guys can't read the field quickly enough and effectively enough, that's something that's probably not going to get that much better, particularly as the game starts to speed up. Um, so if you see guys staring down receivers in college, they're probably not going to stop doing that in the NFL, say. So that's something that's kind of a prerequisite for any quarterback you take really at any point. Um, so then the question becomes, do you go for immediate impact? Or do you go for long term potential? Because generally, once you get to day three, it's either guys who haven't got the elite arm talent, but might be slightly more ready to contribute right right away. Or guys who might have the sort of you know elite arm that teams look for, but maybe are more technically raw or have come from systems where they haven't been asked to. To, to make the complexity of reads or where they, you know, they need some more development work beyond just having this hand to throw the ball well. And I guess the, the decision you make there might be somewhat influenced by whether or not you're just taking this quarterback to be a backup or whether um, they're more of a project, maybe third string quarterback, but you're yeah. sort of grooming them and you know trying to see if you can help realise that potential. No, absolutely. I, th- I think there's definitely a, a strong sort of impact of, of, of that decision. But there's also the the bit where you just have to take the guy who's available. The, the, that, that if you have similar grades on two guys and one sort of, you know, so you, so you have sort of, say, third or fourth round grades on a pair of quarterback, one who's a long term development project and one who's sort of pro ready but arm limited. If they both happen to be there at the point where you think the value's there, then you should probably count yourself lucky because generally... I mean, generally, you end up reaching for quarterbacks, not having to pick between similar guys. Of a, you know, does that make sense? You, yeah. you, you're not normally blessed with a number of options to pick from, so you just take the guy who's highest on your board. Yep. Um, and we'll, we'll be talking about some guys that fit the bucket of 
sort of underdeveloped but raw talent and yeah. guys that fit the bucket of they can make some NFL throws but not all of them uh, yeah. and they know how to make reads etc yeah and there's they're, they're sort of I think we'll get into a bit more about sort of there is also then this sort of cutoff level of you have to be able to make a certain number of throws to, to be able to be a functional quarterback that even the guys who are arm limited in the NFL say are still able to make more throws than most college quarterbacks and so there is that you know there's there's also this threshold level of how much arm talent you have to have to have any chance because if you can't throw the ball 15 yards every nfl team is just going to sit on every route that you try and throw underneath yep so should we work through your board then yeah uh, which is going to be posted right. online on the on the right network right, uh yeah, so yeah. right report uh so number one is daniel jones yeah uh duke quarterback why is he your number one so Again, as I, I, know I should stress this, stress, stress this a lot, that a lot of this would change potentially if we were able to interview these guys. So you have to, in terms of their ability to make reads and process through, you have to go by what you can see on tape without really understanding of what they're being told by their coaches to do or why they're doing what they're doing. So for me, I thought Jones made very effective, quick reads in the pocket at Duke. He's got as much arm talent as you could want in, you know, he's not got the biggest arm in the world, but you, there aren't, you're not going to worry about him not being able to make any of the throws. Um, he shows nice touch and he's maybe not elite accurate, but very good accurate. And by what I mean by that is that he, you know, he doesn't miss many throws, but he might not be making some of the high level um, throws that some of the other guys make just yet, at least with sort of high consistency. I think he's, so there, there, there's, He's the, the the guy who I have the fewest red flags over, if that makes sense. And as a result, he drops the least far. Whereas some of the other guys possibly could be better than him. And if they interview well and you're confident in their ability to make sort of some of the more complex reads and stuff like that, then they could potentially go ahead of Jones. But and similarly, if Jones, if you interview him and you realise actually he probably was just very well coached in terms of how he went through his reads rather than actually having this great understanding then that drops him as well. But based on what you what I saw on tape, he's the guy I have the fewest concerns about. Okay. Um, back on a point you made about interviews, yeah. isn't there a big difference between a player making decisions on the fly in a game situation with like a defensive lineman running towards them yeah. and them kind of uh, retrospectively being able oh, yeah. to talk through their quote-unquote decisions to a coach like in a film room? See, I, I, I there there is to a certain degree, but you can't, get away from what you did on the tape. So I don't think you should be having these discussions with players in the abstract, in a sort of like, we're going to draw up and play. And, you, you know, like to go back to something I mentioned before, um, I think last week, the sort of the Gruden's QB camp stuff, that like whenever he used to draw up plays and get guys, or like the stuff you see on the NFL network of guys be able to remember a play, that that's really not that useful because anyone can do that. Well, not anyone, but most people can do that sitting in an office writing on a whiteboard it's doing it in the in, in the game that's the important bit but what was always useful is to get people to watch back their own tape and explain why they made certain throws with a particular focus on right draw up the play that we, you know what what was the play here draw it up explain how it works in the coverage and then let's look what you actually did and and see what happens there and uh, a good example of that was i remember sort of watching the jared goff talk through and there were there were there are a couple of plays where you just thought he doesn't actually know why he made the read he made. And that's quite worrying, if that makes sense, that you want you want someone to even if they made a mistake, even if they panicked and made a, a wrong read to understand that that's what they did 
rather than not being sure. You, what you don't want to see is the just not knowing why they made a throw. That you've got to understand why you're doing the things you're doing. Um, does that make sense? That, that... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does make sense. I just think you need to be careful of not putting too much value on that because I think some some players might be uh, better at articulating themselves than mm. others, for example. Um, some of them might prepare for those sorts of interviews and others not. Possibly. Um, I mean, it, it, it's... I mean, you could also, the other thing you could do is actually just get someone else's tape and, and, and literally get your own, whatever your, whoever quarterback you had the season beforehand, yeah. draw the play up on the whiteboard and just roll the tape and get them to explain what they're seeing. Yeah. And just pause it at a certain point to say, right, what do you see here? And and obviously that doesn't give you the real world sort of speed of it, but combining those two things and sort of getting someone to explain how, it's important to understand how people see the game. And that tells you a lot that, 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 you know, so, for example, the guy we'll talk about in a bit, the the Kyler Murray, you, you so he had a tendency, and I know we'll talk about this more in a second, but he had a tendency to just, after a couple of reads occasionally, to just drop his eyes and run. And the important thing there is to understand, one, to talk with his coaches and get to them to say what what their view on what he was doing was. Because if they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we told him that after, you know, if your first couple of reads aren't there, just take off and go, then that changes it quite a bit. Because then it's actually, then it's not him breaking outside the structure of an offense it's it's the structure of the offense being to do that and as much as people love the the plays people you know do things that are completely outside of the structure of the offense to to, unless you are aaron Rodgers or cam newton or maybe russell wilson in order to function maybe maybe mahomes as well but in order to function and to be effective consistently you have to play within the offense that you know the reason why Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were so good is because they were able to make you know, they were able to do that to a, to an extremely high level, and when guys aren't able to do that, that's a big red flag. If, if someone can't function inside the the way you know, obviously if the offense is badly designed, it doesn't help. But it, you know, but if the offense is well designed, that's that's the way you want people to play football is to, is to 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 work within the structure of the offense with this proviso of how you know this is the point where things break down. Obviously, if you start getting hit, then you have to start moving out. But you, you don't want someone to just look to, you know, take a couple of... Re- uh, yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll stop sort of hyperbolizing. <laughs> but, but but Brett, I mean, Brett Favre is the prime example of someone whose immense talent was undone by their unwillingness to play within a structure of the offense. Um, and he, I think he almost, I mean, he pretty much does admit it now that... that he he would intentionally go outside what he knew to be the right read it, because he thought he could make plays outside the structure of the offense. And sometimes it did spectacular things, but it's also where he threw some of the most interceptions of anyone ever. You know, his, if, if you're able to play inside the offense most of the time, that is the best scenario. And when guys can't do that, that's more of a negative than it is a positive. Yeah, I'm. I'm just not sure if you should necessarily restrict quarterbacks. Not necessarily to the extent that you're saying, because you aren't saying we should restrict them all the way. But I think allowing players to improvise and kind of be able to make decisions on the fly and kind of uh, feel the flow of a game is oh, is important. There, there, there is, there is certainly. Yes, you you don't want them to be robots just executing pre-designed calls. That is true, but you also don't want people. I think that you also you have to 
then base it a bit on the, what the player does in that if the player consistently does it effectively then as a coach you have to adapt to that and build it into it but if the player keeps improvising and it goes wrong or it goes wrong enough that it's not worth it then the player has to have the discipline to be told look okay fine you, you can do these spectacular things occasionally but actually you need first and foremost you need to master playing in this offense and then build and then everything else be an extra to it like guys guys like russell wilson are great examples of this in that wilson is excellent when functioning outside the structure of the offense however his first instinct at least initially is to function inside the offense although he does sort of see ghosts a little bit but that that's that's then a separate issue but what you don't want is a gut you don't want people coming away from sort of first and second reads consistently because then you're going to create all kinds of issues and teams particularly teams that look to get pre- you know pressure a lot if you know a guy isn't going to work through his early progressions that gives you a massive advantage in terms of effects you can get with blitz because generally the the issue with the blitz is that you then allow yourself open to early you know the ball coming out early but if a guy isn't going to work through those early progressions and get you know be deal work through those hot routes that's then a real concern uh, they're, they're, I, I mean it's really hard to judge all these things and there is so much subjectivity to it and it, it's it's not something you can be really scientific and go like right you need to work 85 percent of the time inside the offense and 15 percent of the time outside the offense it's 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 far more subjective than that but players who consistently function outside the offense have very rarely done well in the nfl yeah i, I mean i think those are good points uh just to finish up on this, I think it's quite difficult to teach a player to be a good improviser and someone who can uh, play well in an unstructured setting. Similar in a way, it's hard to teach a quarterback to be able to uh, kind of instinctively make the correct reads, uh, be able to make quick decisions, etc. Now, yeah. obviously, like you say, it's not the the first thing you want and you need a baseline level of being able to play within the structure because that's where any advantage is in terms of preparation Mm -hmm. um and then so with just back to jones um so you said you haven't got any red flags on him really but are there any sort Mm -hmm. of orange flags um i don't know i I don't i don't you know obviously that there's the fact that he's his career is on an upwards trend, but it's on an upwards trend from a fair, you know, he, he is, he, if he'd come out a year or two ago, I would not, you know, he has made significant improvement and that's very good because it shows that he's still getting better, but it's also that you have, you know, there isn't this great body of work of him being this elite player. And it's the same thing with Trubisky to a certain degree that just the small sample size just makes you a little bit more nervous, but that's not a massive you know, he's, there's enough good tape on him that you're not concerned that it's just, you know, if, you know, it's not like Cardell Jane, Jones potentially coming out after three games where it's like, oh, I, you can't judge anything off three games. Um, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big enough sample size. I think that's not too much of an issue. Um, I mean, his touch does isn't always perfect, but it's pretty, you know, it's it's, it's pretty good. Um, I mean, there's, there's always a thing that you have with everybody that he's not coming from a pro-style offense. So, you know, that is going to be a bit of a concern, but there aren't anything from what I can judge off tape. There's nothing that really massively concerns me. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not as sold on Jones as you are. Um, I think he's a, he's a good prospect, 
whether or not he's worth taking in the first round, I'm I'm not having that debate. I just have questions about his ability to see underneath defenders um, and his general decision making. I think he throws some risky passes. Um, he's he's there. There are definitely shades of uh, Blake Bortles in his game for me. Um, okay. But one one thing I was really impressed by was his ability to um, throw passes accurately when under pressure so you know when yeah. he's about to get laid by you know a defensive lineman or a linebacker mm-hmm. you'll just yeah. sit in the pocket and and deliver um i think that that's so i think it got a little bit better as the season went on but certainly for the first half of, of this year his offensive line was just terrible the the, the you know that there, there was a there was an argument going on about halfway through the year whether he should declare or not and it was one of these things where it's like well if if I'm him, I'm declaring if only because I genuinely think you have a real chance of getting hurt playing behind that line for any period of time. So there was, he's not the only guy, there are some other guys who this category as well, that, that if if you're consistently playing under a really clean pocket or you're consistently playing under a really dirty pocket, it then becomes, like, like Jared Goff, for example, doesn't tend to make terrible decisions, but he also, given how much time he has, he also isn't really elevating his team with his decisions. And I think Jones, certainly early on this season, was under a lot of pressure very consistently. And I think some of the some of the iffier decisions I kind of put down to the fact that he was about to get hit almost instantly. You know, I think there are a few with Brett Ripon as well, who we'll talk about in a bit, but there are a couple of plays where often they just didn't pick up edge rushers, for example. And the fact that he then just started to heave the ball out of bounds even though it was a wide open receiver. I mean, obviously, you don't want them to heave it right to a defender, and that is something you have to be concerned about. But there's, if a guy's consistently under pressure, it's so hard for them to be effective. Yeah, and that, that, that touches on the broader point, which isn't just players might play differently or because their offensive lines are different. Sometimes they're under pressure, sometimes they're not. It's pretty hard to uh, get an equal baseline uh, to be yeah. able to compare plays. But it's just like what their offense is structured like as well. What kind yeah. of throws are they being asked to make? Yeah, I, I thought Jones was asked to make a fairly reasonable selection of the throws. I think most most of the guys, I think pretty much everyone, have got their top, really the top five or six, seven or eight, really, were all asked to make a reasonable range of throws. Maybe there might have been some that were asked to make more deep throws or fewer deep throws. Ripian wasn't asked to throw deep that much, to be fair. But they were all asked to, to actually push the ball deep and make short throws. It, I, 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 That is one of the concerns you have, is if a guy is just asked to throw go routes. Which is something more we'll common to a bit later, or yep. <laughs> or is just you know, or or is just asked to throw sort of quick outs. You you you, it's harder to get a real feel for their ability. Okay, should we move on to the the next player yeah, on your board, uh, Dwayne Haskins? Yeah. Um. So this is another guy that's kind of kicked on late, only one season as a starter. Yeah. Uh, why is he your number two? So he's a similar guy to, to Jones in that he just doesn't you know there aren't many holes to his game. Um, I think he's got he's, his, his arms pretty good. It's not sort of elite elite arm, but it, it's a good arm. He can again he can make all the throws really. Um, he's accurate. Uh, his touch is pretty decent. Um, his so this is something we talked about a bit earlier, but his. The quality of his decisions is very good. Like he, he doesn't tend to make very many bad reads. What he does tend to do, the reason why I've got him below Jones is that he sometimes tears to the, 
be a bit slow in his progressions, um, either because he's staring down the receiver or because he doesn't quite... He waits for them to get open before he makes the throw. His his ability to anticipate doesn't, doesn't appear to be amazing. But the other thing is, is that he was generally really, really well protected for most of his time in college. And there's there's some of it where he's able to just wait on those throws. I mean, it was... It was, it was something Baker Mayfield did a ton at Oklahoma, was just waiting on deep routes to come open, even though he had underneath receivers who were open, because he knew, I think part of it at least, was he knew he wasn't going to get hit very often, so that he could he could afford to sit in the pocket and wait for you know Hollywood Brown or you know, whoever it was to, to to get open vertically. He didn't you know he knew it was worth you know, or he there is a chance that he was taking a calculated risk and wasn't just missing the underneath receivers, was actively taking a, a gamble and waiting for the deep guys to get open. So there is a degree with Haskins that he was playing on a very skilled offense with a very good offensive line, and therefore he was probably able to take longer because he had longer, whereas Jones was having to go fast because he didn't have the time. So there is a bit of a payoff there. Is Are they going slow because they have to go slow, or are they going slow because they know they can go slow? But that that was the biggest concern is that there were times where it took him a while to work through his progressions. Uh, but patience can be a good thing. Uh, oh, it this, can this, be. It's it kind be. of difficult to tell. It, yeah, it, it's the you know, it depends how slow you are. Like you don't have to be manically working through your progressions. But if you can't work through your progressions fast enough, teams will look to blitz you, knowing that if your first read isn't the blitz beater. Or if you don't get the first, if the first read isn't isn't open, that you're probably going to get to you before you make second and third, even if they are open. So you can't you can't be laborious in the way through you go through your reads. You have once a guy's not open, you have to move on, um, pretty much all the time, unless you know, unless, you know, unless obviously they're rushing three and you know you've got the time to work through. So that there's like everything, it's shades of grey. There's a disqualifyingly slow bit, but beyond that. There are there are pros of going faster and there are cons of going faster. It's about finding a balance somewhere in the middle. Um, I'll mention three things I noted about uh, Haskins: two good, one bad. Okay. Uh, on the good side, I think his movement in the pocket is the best of any quarterback in his class. Okay. In terms of subtly uh, sensing pressure, adjusting to it, resetting his feet, always sort of having a, a good base to to throw on. I think uh, of any quarterback in his class, that was probably the best. I also think um, I saw more um, examples of him looking off defensive backs. So sort of um, okay. showing them the eyes, getting them to go one way and then no, it was quite good, actually, throwing yeah. it back the other way. I think he's quite refined, which is surprising given that he only started for one year. But I think I reckon a lot of that is down to coaching. Essentially. Yeah, I mean, they've got pretty good coaches, there, haven't they? Um, um, and then the, the last thing, the the bad point, his accuracy is, is fairly good, but it's quite spotty. And I think a lot of it comes down to his footwork when he's passing the ball. Um, so whereas he's good in the pocket, kind of like adjusting uh, to pressure when it actually gets to setting himself to throw the pass, uh, he can sort of lose balance um, in the lower half of his body okay. and sort of has to generate a lot of his throws with his arms rather than with his legs, and that leads to pretty yeah, bad accuracy. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't massively noticed that, I must say, but that is, that is possibly a decent point. Okay, should we move on to the next guy? Yeah, the next guy you've got is Brett Ripien, uh, which might be a surprise for people listening yeah. in. Um, so 
tell us why is Brett Rippin your number three quarterback? So, whereas I think I'm fairly happy with my number one and two, the gap between four, sort of, sort of three and four, is is that there's really not much difference here, and it's it's largely a mixture of of what you want to go for, and also a bit of an uncertainty about my number four quarterback. But Rippin, he's very accurate. He he has excellent anticipation. Um, he he's got decent touch. He's got an okay arm, and he works his progressions or appears to work through his progressions very well. So he is one of those guys. If you're talking about sort of like he's you know a guy who might well fall to sort of late day two, early day three, he's very much a guy who is about his ability to contribute right now, even though his ceiling isn't that great. That that his arm talent is going to limit what he can do at the NFL level, but I think his arm is good enough that. He can make pretty much all the throws um, and certainly all the throws you need someone to make, he can make. Um, and he, he's high level accurate and his his anticipation is just absolutely bonkers at times. I think there was one run where I saw where it was a, it was a receiver was running a, a fake in, a fake, a fake post and then breaking out. And he, he released the ball before they broke in on the out route. So it, you know, I mean, partly it's quite a deep, deep, because because he hasn't got the biggest arm, he has to have good anticipation because that's what allows him to get the ball into the tight windows because he can't fit it in there with arm strength. But his ability to to, to read through and see how receivers, you know, to see the receivers getting open before they do is important. And what it also meant is that he was then able to move off receivers who weren't going to get open before they showed the fact, you know, he was able to see the early signs of someone not getting open and move on rather than continuing to stare down a receiver in the hope that they might become open later on, uh, which I thought was quite impressive. Um, I, I, you know, he's a guy who I can't imagine being an NFL star. I think it would be unusual if he did that, but I think his floor is one of the highest in this class, even if his ceiling isn't great. It's a bit of a weird thing to say, but I think he's got a great brain. Like I think yeah. he's, he's he's really a cerebral uh, player. He's very quick at making his progressions, as you say. Uh, really good anticipation. Um, I mentioned Haskins uh, manipulating defenders with his eyes. I think Ripian does that as well. Um, yeah, that, that was... I, I'm not as sold on his accuracy as you are. Um, and again, there is that question of Mark about his uh, arm strength. Yeah. Um, so I think, that, that's a bit of a difficult one because it's sort of a threshold thing, isn't it? You, you need yeah. to be able to make certain NFL throws and yeah. there probably aren't enough instances for you to be exactly sure whether or not he falls above or below the threshold. Yeah, I think you probably want to work him out a bit. I I, I think so. In my, in my view, he is above the threshold, but he's not miles above the threshold. And in terms of his accuracy, I think his accuracy is fine as long as his feet aren't a mess. And that 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 I so there there are inaccurate throws on tape, but they're almost all the ones where he couldn't get his feet set. And that is that is clearly an issue. That if he's going to be playing like at Boise State, his pass protection was not great. Um, it, and, if, and if in the NFL, if you're not going to protect him, he's going to struggle because a lot of his one his arm strength and also his accuracy are very dependent on his footwork. You know, he is he is a technically sound guy, but that does mean that when he isn't able to be technically sound, it there are real issues. Um, so I, I, I think there, yeah, so, so I think his, his, there were very few times where I think he opted not to get his footwork right, if that makes sense. But generally the times when he was throwing inaccurately, it was because he wasn't able to get his footwork correct because there were people in the way. So I, I think, 
yeah, that, that, that he's not he's not an elite arm talent, but and he's not even really a good arm talent. He's an okay arm talent. And then the question that seems like to work out is whether 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 he whether he is above that threshold and and how much of a concern they think there there are going to be times where he underthrows people and how much of a concern that is. Do you think the NFL in general undervalues players with his skill set? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, people like arm strength because they can see it clearly on tape and go, yep, yep, he can throw it very far. And so, so Kim um, Fahey, who does a lot of quarterback analysis stuff, um, he he, there's something he wrote recent, probably about a month ago or so ago, about Patrick Mahomes, which is that Mahomes is phenomenal. From what he showed last year, he is phenomenal. But if you think that the Mahomes that there is now is the Mahomes they drafted, then you you aren't watching the tape. That if Andy Reid has done an exceptional job in in developing Mahomes. And actually, he's probably been able to turn a probably not a great pick into a really good player because the, the massive flaws he showed at Texas Tech, he's been able to fix. But that doesn't mean that every guy with that massive arm but technical nightmare is going to be fixed in the way Mahomes was. And that's probably because Mahomes is a very teachable guy and Andy Reid is a fantastic offensive coach. And he has good quarterback coaches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but you can't just use him as an example of how, well, of course, we need to just keep drafting these people with massive arms because it will work out. It, it generally doesn't. And actually, Mahomes is the, is the anomaly, not the other way around. That's very, very interesting. Uh, and so the next guy on your board is quite a bit different from Ripian. Okay. Uh, and quite a bit different from Mahomes, but still in that oh. similar vein of he can make some amazing throws and you know can do some head-scratching plays. I think there's uh, someone else in this class who's, who's more similar to Mahomes as a prospect who we'll get to in a bit, but but I, I do know what you mean a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's Kyla Murray. Yeah. So why are you not as high on him as the general NFL consensus? So some of this is just the, the concern about not being able to... He, he, there were, so I know you think his accuracy is very, very good, and I think his accuracy is, is generally very good. However, there were, there were a few, there were a handful of plays that were not just inaccurate, they were just absolutely nowhere near his intended receiver. That, that, that there were, there were a small number of just really egregious miss, misses, which I'm still not sh- quite sure why they happened. And that's something if I, you know, I'd want to just shore up a little bit because, you know, guys miss all the, you know, you're not going to make every throw. The fact that you have a handful of misses isn't the issue. But when you miss quite so badly, you're then a little bit not sure why you miss so badly and whether that's a mechanical issue that is kind of not being exposed to this, or, or there is a tendency to do something that, that's causing these sort of wild throws. But but that that's not the main concern. The main concern is that he had a real tendency to jump through his progressions and just go from, you know, it's it's and this is something that's very hard to judge because a lot of hyper mobile quarterbacks have done this in, in in college in that they know they can just be ridiculously dominant as a runner in the open field so as soon as they see some space they just take off because they know it's 10 easy yards and that's fine if you're doing that consciously as a sort of tactical ish decision rather than just a you, you you know he he quite often didn't get beyond this first or second read before just 
taking off and herring for the sideline or the, the first down marker. And that's that's always a bit of a concern, um, particularly as that's very definitely not how Mayfield was asked to operate last year. Mayfield was very much asked to just keep standing in there until someone gets open. Um, obviously, he did run at times as well, but you know, he, he was asked to just keep standing in the pocket a lot. So that's, this isn't something that's just how their offense works. It's not a two-read offense, for example. Um, and so there's a bit of a concern about his, his willingness to run. Um, yep. And I think there's also his touch sort of came and went a bit as well. That was a bit of a concern. But th- that's, again, the, like as, as, as with sort of the occasional wild miss, that's more of a, a slight concern rather than the bigger one of his ability to work through reads. Yep. I've never seen a player play so frantically, especially a quarterback. Um, kind of go through your reads way too quickly. Um, Johnny Man- Manziel did it. But, yeah, yeah. But, but um, that, that's not a comp you want to make. No, just kind of sing in the pocket, bouncing about, and then if you see a, a sliver in a defensive line, just going for just it. Just shoot for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think he, one weird thing I noticed was that I reckon he avoids contact. In yeah. that there, there are a lot of times where um, a defender was sort of about to sack him or get his hand on him. And rather than kind of sit there and, and throw the pass, um, he would sort of turn his body away when attempting to pass and, and sort of minimize the, the contact he has with a defender to the detriment Possibly. of the of the pass, kind of the opposite of what uh, Daniel Jones does. I, I, this isn't a huge point, but I was just one, one mm, thing. I, 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 I noticed that, but yeah, yeah that could be true. I mean, um, I, I, he's, he's pretty unique as a player. Like, you know, yeah. whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I cannot think of a comp that is fair to him. Because no. it, it would be easy to take the bad bits of his game and compare him to Johnny Manziel, but Manziel never did the good things that Murray does. Um, and that's the reason why I've got Kyler Murray with a third-round grade rather than an undraftable grade, which is what I gave Manziel. Um, <laughs> and and but at the same time, he does do these things where he jumps off reads and he runs like a lunatic. Um, not necessarily with the... You know, inside the pocket sometimes but it, it, it's he, he makes some absolutely fantastic throws and not just lucky throws like genuinely incredible touch and high level accuracy at all levels of the field it's just he also then sometimes runs around like a lunatic and tr- you no know, tries to make plays with his feet even when he could probably stay in the pocket and make a relatively simple throw um I, he's very much in the category of I can't, you know, having not seen someone play like him, it's really hard to to evaluate where he falls. I, it's sort of a bit, you know, very different player, obviously, but sort of Derek Henry all those years ago, it was like I can't think of a player who plays like you, and so I don't really know how how valuable your skill set is because yep. there are things you do badly and well that I can't really think of anyone who that compares to. Yep. So, I think Murray is very much. Uh, Teams will probably either really like him and not worry about the bad things, or they'll be scared shitless, and the bad things he do will make him near undraftable, given how high he's likely to go. Um, I, I, he's a really hard guy to pick. I know that's a bit of a cop out, but it, it's if someone told me they had a first round grade on him, I don't think they're completely insane. I can see why they like him, um, and if someone told me they don't think they draft him, 
I can kind of see that for a couple of reasons. I mean, I I, I generally try and stay away from the crap cod psychology, but the, his indecision about baseball is a little bit of a concern as well. Like, it's not it doesn't affect how I've rated him here, but that I think that's whereas a lot of this like the stuff with Josh Rosen last year about you know him talking about politics, I couldn't care less about. Um, and not just because of, you know, whatever his politics are, like, that's fine. That's not making him a better or worse quarterback. But he he, he did pretty much firmly commit to baseball a year ago. And the fact that he's now changed, I do find slightly concerning. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to comment on the on the baseball thing. Um, but I, I think his accuracy is the the best in the class and he has got some some big question marks about how he handles the pocket um i i I can see him becoming you know one of the better quarterbacks in the nfl i could see him completely flaming out i think a team's going to take a risk on him and uh, the job of a general manager might hinge on yeah on how he turns out this is the kind of pick that either makes you look like an absolute genius or makes you look like an absolute fool. Because because regardless of where he goes, if, if he goes first overall, there will be a number of people who think that is a terrible pick and that you've completely ruined your franchise. And and if and if he goes 25th overall, there are 24 teams who are going to look really stupid if he does work out. Like he he is. He is a guy who is going to really divide opinion, and actually, it, it will be very much down to each individual general manager how they they evaluate him. Yeah. Uh, also, before we move on, I think he's he's a guy that probably needs to sit out for his first year. Um, Possibly. I I I don't I I think to be fair, I think most people would benefit from that. I I think there's there's a real argument to at least early on. So. I don't even think it has to be the whole first year or even more than a handful of games. But I think not going in, you know, not putting the expectation of being the guy from day one, giving them the time to learn the offense at their own pace to a certain degree. I think there's a real value in that for for every quarterback you draft. I mean, there's a reason why teams don't do it. It's because people don't want to be fired. But there are definitely a number of guys who get rushed through and it does hurt them long term. Okay. Now, moving on from a guy that's projected to go possibly first in the draft to yeah. a guy that's projected to go in the late rounds. Um, yeah. You've got Drew Anderson next. Yeah. Is there a big difference between him and Murray in your eyes? Yeah. No, so so there was a, for me, there's sort of there's a top four and then there's everybody else. Okay. Um, so I think I can't remember exactly what my grades off the top of my head without them in front of me. But I think I've got something like a high mid third on on murray and then like a high fourth potentially around it, it's it's even if the, my grades don't show that much of a difference and i can't exactly remember what they are right now which isn't very helpful but there, there is a real gap between the top four and the next for me in that there is there are very few things that anderson does better than murray and the things he does do and there are a lot more there's a lot more reasons to be confident in murray in it you know i i think murray ripping haskins and jones are the top four for me and then there's more of a debate about who the next few are, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so I have got Drew Anderson. Um, he's a guy that's going to be, it's going to be really important how he interviews and, and how he works out. I mean, he, he's been at four different colleges, I think, so far, um, over five seasons. And he, his arm talent is ridiculous. Like, he, he is, 
in the top two or three guys in this draft in terms of arm talent. However, his footwork is a complete mess and he's never played in anything other than a very simplified offense. So he's a long-term development project, um, but he's one of a handful. So what separates from him from the next two guys I've got, who are also, I think, developmental guys, is that he shows an absence of good decision-making rather than a presence of bad decision-making, if that makes sense. So he's he's a guy who, in terms of his ability as a process quarterback, he's very much a, 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 a to-be-determined um, and that's better than the other you know once you get to sort of the the, the more developmental quarterbacks there's a reason why they're developmental and his is an app you know it's it's technical issues that can sort of be explained from having changed school all the time you know so if if he just spent four years at you know ohio state and he was still like this it would be more concerning that coming out of murray state but he, he his arm talent is really appealing and i think the the ceiling is there if someone wants to work on him in day three the the question I have is how someone like Josh Allen goes in the first round and, and Drew Anderson is projected I, I, to be very late. I must admit, I think they are very, very similar players. They are yep. both guys who've come from... not. You know, Josh Allen was a bit younger, um, but Drew Anderson, in his four games in the FBS, threw 10 touchdowns at like 400 yards a game with one interception. I mean, what, some of that has been put out by the fact that he threw for 600 yards and seven touchdowns against Western Michigan, but he, yeah. you know, <laughs> he, which is one of the most ridiculous games I've 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 seen in a while. But but he he was he was legitimately very good in the four starts he got before Tyree Jackson came back. You know, he, he, Tyree Jackson got hurt, Drew Anderson was amazing, and then Tyree Jackson comes back and it, then he, that, then he transferred. So it, it you know, I I, I think he is. Him and Josh Allen are certainly in the same area in terms of massive arm talent, but also a lot of to fix. And because the NFL are insane, Drew Anderson's probably going to go in the sixth to undrafted range rather than the top 20 picks. Also, how wild is it that Drew Anderson and Tyree Jackson were both at Buffalo? He's bonkers. Like, it, 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 you, you feel really sorry for him in that he clearly... So it's from, from, from what I understand... He, he didn't really get a shot at San Diego State because there was an established starter ahead of him, so he went to community college. Was absolutely dominant in community college and went to Buffalo to get his shot and then got stuck behind Tyree Jackson and had to transfer to Murray State. And uh, whilst I think he's a better prospect than Tyree Jackson, Tyree Jackson is, is also in my top 10 quarterbacks in this draft class. And as the established starter and a more natural scheme fit, it's hard to blame the Buffalo coaches for opting for the, the safer pick. So, you know, him not beating out Tyree Jackson isn't that much of a concern to me. But, yeah, no, I, I he's had some pretty bad luck to this point, I would say. Yeah. How does he compare to the, the next two guys on your board who are somewhat similar stylistically, or at least both of big arms in Easton Stick, who's number six, and, and Drew Locke at seven? I, I think he's a similar arm talent to both of them. Maybe Drew Locke is slightly better than the other two guys. But what, as I was trying to hint at earlier, that, that Anderson doesn't show great decision-making on tape because it was generally very simplified. Both Stick and Locke show actively bad decision-making on tape. I mean, Stick is just a complete lunatic um, who <laughs> whose style of play I could best describe as hero ball, where he just feels the need to try and... I mean, 
North Dakota State clearly give their QBs a reasonable remit to go and be aggressive. Because if you watch Carson Wentz, he did some of the same stuff in that just just trying to force the ball down the field because they knew they probably had more talent. But he's not Carson Wentz. He hasn't got the same talent as Carson Wentz. And so there are times where his attempts to try and beat Carson Wentz end up in quite ugly interceptions. Um, so I I think he's I have him slightly ahead of Drew Locke because there is always the bit of like he's coming from a smaller school. You can kind of explain some of the bad decisions. They're not quite as egregious potentially. I mean, that's that's. But again, him and him and Drew Locke are very, very close together. But Anderson just doesn't have the egregious, you know, attempts to try and throw it through a safety. Um, whereas Drew Locke really does. Um, I, I think he did get a bit better this season compared to his junior season. But and he has got an absolutely enormous arm. It's just he really likes go routes and sometimes tries to throw them regardless of what the defense is showing him. Well, he had a manual haul on this team, so I don't blame him. <laughs> and the um, oh, who's the tight end? Um, Albert something or other. He was pretty good as well. And they, they, I mean, to be fair, Missouri ran a lot of go routes. Like they, they did, they did very much go for the deep ball as a strategy. But he also, even when it wasn't on, he continue to try and throw it i mean there was one i saw i think it was 2017 where they ran three verticals so one down the right one down the left and one down the middle and he picked the one where the safety was and it was like you, <laughs> you could you could just have hit either of the corners and that would have been fine rather than an egregious interception so like that that but i mean it's it's hard to make too much of this stuff because or hard, you know it's hard you know to, 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 to view these things as really important if only because it, it's it, it's. I haven't watched every game he's played. It's hard to get a really clear sense of. I might have just watched the bad games. So I, you know, I don't want to be. And, and this goes for all the quarterbacks. I don't want to be too negative or too positive on any of them from a mental point of view because that is something that's quite hard to get a real feel for from watching, you know, three or four games. But Locke made some pretty bad reads, fairly consistent. But what, what's your view on him? Um, I don't. I don't understand the hype. Again, he's got a big arm, but he he doesn't make good decisions at all. No. Um, I don't think his anticipation is great either. No, no, he doesn't really um, anticipate. He just I think he's he's quite slow at uh, picking things up, sort of uh, reacting to what the what the defense is showing. Um, he he tends to throw to the feet of receivers quite a bit as well, which is just weird. Like he's got the arm talent, but just sometimes he yeah, the, really drives are, it quite low. That's something, um, oh, Deshaun Kaiser used to do that as well, actually. I always find really strange because I, I remember sort of watching the hype paper go like, how many people say he's got a huge arm? He keeps throwing it into people's feet. And it, but it was, but you then, then he made throws that he had the big arm. But I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, maybe in an attempt to control it, you end up just driving it into the ground. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, don't get him as a top 10, but certainly not as a first round pick. Yeah. I just, just, I just don't get it. But I mean, I, I, I understand the, the hype because of uh, the arm talent. What I don't understand is how inconsistent the NFL is at hyping players based on their arm talent. Yeah, yes, that's, that's the thing. It's kind of so you pick, yeah, him and Josh Allen and ignore all the other guys with massive arms but equally big issues. Yeah, I, I don't know. The NFL's weird sometimes. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of other guys I want to talk about very quickly. I mean, we are getting. We're running on a fair amount, so we should probably yep. wrap up pretty quickly. But the um, the other couple of guys are Will Greer and Jordan Tamu, um, one of whom you reasonably like, 
neither of whom I like a huge amount for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about Greer a bit because uh, yeah. he's a guy that I kind of like. Again, I don't think he's a, a top three, maybe even top four quarterback in his class. Um, but I think he's fairly similar as a player to Ripien um, in that the big question mark is probably over their arm strength. Yeah. And so you think Ripien's um, arm talent is a bit better than yeah, Greer, and sense. that one lies above the threshold and one below. But I just yeah. think there's too much uncertainty in evaluating that that I, I, I sort of think they're fairly similar in that I regard. Think, I think yeah. So I, I said this too earlier but i think the, the 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 biggest difference for me between the two of them is that there were some times on tape where greer tried to push the ball deep and he just couldn't do it like you know ripian's biggest issue in terms of arm strength for me was he could actually throw the ball vertically relatively okay the issue came when he was asked to throw it f- sort of flatter outside the numbers further down the field it was yep. those and I think there is a legitimate concern there. My issue with Greer is there are times where he just couldn't, like on the on the straight go vertical routes, just could not get the ball there. Um, and I think that's, I think his actual velocity isn't horrendous. Like his technique is excellent. He gets, you know, he gets the most out of his arm. But there are times when you ha- when you can't go for velocity because you've got to get the ball further down the field and you've got to put more of a trajectory on it. And there were some that almost stopped in the air kind of thing just just basically just turned into 30 yard jump balls for the receivers uh, and that really shouldn't have been that should have been open go routes and he just could not get the ball there and you can make up some of that with anticipation i think that's what for me ripian is able to do is that he's able to anticipate where the ball has to be he's able to get it out early enough that even if it's not going on on a rope it's there and hitting the receiver in stride where Greer just, he, he just can't, there's no way he could anticipate it early enough to get the ball there in time okay. and, and, and turns what should be deep receptions into jump balls. So or those, as the NFL will call them pass interferences, but that that's, that's, yeah, another matter. Yeah. The, the reason I slightly prefer Greer to Ripian, I think they're both fairly limited in terms of their, the NFL futures um you know we are talking about mid-round quarterbacks here with yeah. with limited arm strength but one thing i really do like about Greer is his general accuracy um especially in a short and intermediate ranges his touch is very good um deep ball again the arm strength isn't there but there are definitely cases where he he throws the ball 40 yards down the field and the accuracy is 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 very good sort of the anticipation as you're talking about with yeah, no, his, his, his accuracy is good. I think the, yeah. the only the only other thing I would say about his touch is that there were times where he was clearly really having to to talk it to get the ball. Oh there. yeah, yeah, as in, and the there, touch there, there just are completely goes out the window. Yeah, there are instances where he has to throw a deep ball, and in order to do that, he he's only throwing off his left foot because he sort of has to not jump but uh, kick his right foot back up to generate the kind of torque. To throw yeah. the ball down. That's it's, that's not great. And that that's what I didn't see from Ripian is that that Ripian is it's similar to what you get with tackles where there's kind of there's a bit where at some point your your athleticism runs out and you have to resort. You know, all quarterbacks do. There comes there will come a depth where you have to give up on good technique and just heave the ball there. And that I, I that that happened for for throws for Greer that you really can't 
I just I I I wouldn't feel confident. And and you know if you worked him out a lot and you were happy that it wasn't as bad as it it seemed, but there were just too many throws where he clear is is where he had to break technique to get the ball there. Whereas Ripien might not have made the best throw, you know, the the, the, the on a rope throw 30 yards out of the field, but at least he did it without having sort of heave off his, you know, really heave the ball. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. It, it is pretty close. Like it is, it is sort of there's a there's 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 a line of, of sort of acceptable arm strength, and they're both pretty close to it. Yeah, um, and it's such in my opinion, of... Ripien's one side and Greer's the other. But but I I, I do I do know what yep. you mean. There's, yeah, it's, there's a, it's an important just... distinction to make between players that just can't make the throws and and players who are good enough to manage and, and be able to yeah. uh, not always have a, a safety like up in a box. You know, yeah, like like Alex Smith was able to make and has been able to make a pretty good NFL career, despite the fact that that for most of it, anything beyond 40 yards was out of the question. Yeah. However, the difference between everything over 40 yards being out of the question and everything over 25 yards being out of the question. Uh, and or that if it's going to go 35 yards, it's going to give the safety time to get there kind of thing. So, it, yes, I, I yeah, well, there's no point keeping over it. But, yeah, I, I think it's 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 not some great divide between the two players. It's just a, a threshold question. Yeah. The last person uh, we probably want to talk about is Tamu, I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 Uh, why do you want to talk about him? So I want to talk about him partly because I'm probably going to write a profile on him because he has sort of been linked to the Panthers a little bit. Some people quite like him. They think that as a late round guy, he sort of does some nice things. And to be fair, he does throw a nice deep ball. On the other hand, he doesn't really do much apart from throw a nice deep ball. And I, I'm I'm going to be a little bit hesitant because Ole Miss were a little bit of a mess this year in terms of schematically and coaching wise. I don't I don't think they're possibly as good as their reputation suggests so I don't think the fact that he's coming out of Ole Miss is well he's had great coaching and he should be technically you know he should be all there but he didn't really work through reads particularly encouragingly his touch is a bit iffy his accuracy is okay but it's not amazing um he was basically just asked to throw a go around like a lot of the time it was just you know I just sort of two read often just, there were times where he literally you know it did seem like it was either the go route or he was going to take off and that it wasn't just him doing that. It was that was what the offense was. Yeah. He also made some horrendous mistakes occasionally. Um, yeah. I I think he's someone who is being mentored on the Panthers, so I think it is worth talking about him. But I think he is there is enough there that concerns you that you're not taking him. I think I've got a sixth round, an early sixth. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah, mid sixth round grading him, and I think I'd I feel cautious about taking him much higher than that. Yeah. But there's definitely enough there to. To kind of pique your interest. Oh and yes, yes. It, it, it might be the weird, a weird example of where having three receivers who are good at winning jump balls and you know who who are going to play at the NFL level might be a detriment because it just simplifies the offense quite a bit. I mean, I I also think their offense was insane anyway. Like some of their running plays make no sense whatsoever. That that, that they actually had a pretty good offensive line and they managed to somehow run the ball badly behind a good offensive line by asking their blockers to just do things that made no sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like Ole Miss's offense very much, if you haven't guessed. I, 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 it, it, it was because they've got so many draft eligible guys this year, I've watched quite a lot of Ole Miss's offense and having spent probably the best part of a couple of hours of my life watching cut-ups of Ole Miss's offense, I am quite frustrated by watching people of immense talent <laughs> being put to such terrible use quite consistently. Yeah. So... 
there, there, there's not an absence of bile here. Um, but yeah, no. So overall, I don't think there's any clear. I just because of the way quarterback grades work is that once you sort of start dropping, you drop very quickly. And so I think it possibly looks like I have Jones way higher than Haskins and Ripien and etc. But but it I it wouldn't take much for them to swap rounds, even if their grades are relatively separated. That that for quarterbacks it really is this exponential curve of value. And and you know, as soon as you start slipping, you slip down really quickly because the gap between an elite quarterback and a very good quarterback is not very much at all. And the gap between a guy who's a decent NFL starter and a guy who's a complete bust is really, you know, not very you don't have to be that much worse at that many things to, to go from from extremely valuable mid-tier quarterback to horrendous bust. So it, it you know People like Pat Mahomes are great examples of 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 the range of outcomes that are possible because you can go and watch Pat Mahomes' tape at Texas Tech and there is there is and watch him at the Chiefs and he is a near completely different player and that is the very best case scenario you could get but you there are also guys who have a very similar skill set coming out of college to Pat Mahomes who are horrendous busts. And, and there's not, it's not that there's one or two of them. There's a whole dozen. Any any sort of course type prototype you can think of, there are going to be a dozen NFL busts who are almost perfect fits for it. Yeah. So it, it's 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 it. This is this is you know any quarterback pick is a big risk, barring maybe Andrew Luck. So you know this this is this is not an exact science by any means, and this is true of every position, but a quarterback just the range of outcomes for a given player are always enormous because it doesn't take much. You know, if you don't reach a certain threshold, you're almost without any value whatsoever. There are no rotation quarterbacks in the NFL. Yep. That, 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 that's very true. Um, but that's why it's always so interesting. And that's why quarterbacks always generate the biggest storylines in the draft. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you hit on a quarterback, that's, that's worth so much. Yeah. Especially on a rookie contract. Yeah. Uh, though they 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 really go up very steep. This is a complete tangent, but Jared Goff's contract goes from being outstanding value to oh, that's quite a lot of money within you know it's like six million, seven million, seven million, eight million, twenty eight million. Yeah. Like the fifth year option is is bonkers. But yeah, so the, the Rams are going to have a real decision there whether they, you pay Jared Goff twenty eight million in a year's time. But yeah, that'd be a fun one to watch. Anyway, I think we should probably stop because we've gone quite a bit over this week. Yeah. Um, I haven't got anything else to say. Do you have anything else to uh, say? Not particularly. No. In which case, we'll have uh, profiles on Brett Ripien, Drew Anderson, and Jordan Tamu. I think um, that will be coming out this week, and we'll be back next week with some free agency talk because it's nearly that time of the year. Anyway, goodbye from me. Bye. Bye.